Hi, I'm talking with Eric Johnson. Uh, Eric served in, as a state senator from 1993 until 2009. He also served as president pro tem of the state senate during that time, after Republicans took control of the, legis uh, the, of the legislature and the senate again. Uh, currently, he's a candidate in the July 20th Republican primary for governor, and he is also someone that I have a great deal of respect for, even though we disagree from time to time on some things. Eric, thanks for joining me. I'm great, Jason. Glad to appreciate you uh, taking time to talk to me. Well, what are your feelings on the current state of Georgia? Well, obviously, we're going through the greatest um, recession since the Great Depression. Uh, people are hurting. Uh, businesses are hurting. Local governments are, are, are struggling to provide services that they've been able to provide fairly easily in the past. But um, it's still a good state. We still got the fundamentals there. And, uh, you know, I think we'll come out of this, particularly if Washington would just shut up and go home. I think we could find our way out of this mess. You've made jobs a big part of your platform and from the first debate. Uh, even in, until now. Um, so how do you plan to get jobs in the state again? The first thing is, is that the basic conservative principles of good government off our backs and out of our pockets. Um, uh, reduce the amount of regulations and, and, and bureaucracy that stifles entrepreneurship and, and, uh, and, and job expansion. Um, it's uh, getting capital to start up uh, businesses. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, tax cuts it, it's, it, to, to the broadly if we can, target it if we need to, but, uh, you know, getting businesses uh, back to growing and getting the tax code back to, to, to a point where it's uh, encouraging um, hard work and growth and not discouraging it. I think infrastructure is a, is a valid purpose of government as we begin to question what Washington's doing. I still think that as individuals, we can't build uh, sewage treatment plants or reservoirs or roads, so we pool our money to provide the infrastructure that the private sector needs to grow and prosper. Uh, clearly, education um, is part of the long-term solution and, and something that has to be dealt with. So uh, those, are, those are things we'll focus on. Well, recently, the governor ze uh, vetoed zero-based budgeting. It has, has created a little bit of backlash in the conservative blogosphere. Uh, do you support zero-based budgeting as a means to justify funding for programs and eliminate waste in the state's budget? Absolutely, and, and, and the only candidate in the top tier that uh, that voted for zero-based budgeting, um, so uh, so I support it. But of course, zero-based budgeting deals with the silo. It deals with the department going back to the, the zero and starting up. The other thing that has to be done, and, and I'm the candidate also, the only only candidate talking about it, is a horizontal look at government uh, across all departments and, and and go into that what what I call back to basics. What's the primary purpose of government? Uh, what can we um, get rid of? What can we privatize? What we can we consolidate? What uh, and 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 look at zero-based budgeting is a vertical uh, look at the budget within each department, but you also have to look horizontally across state government. So it's a two it's a two-step procedure. Despite a spending increase of 119 percent over the last 25 years, Georgia still ranks near the bottom in education. What do you believe can be done to improve education in our state? Well, first, you know, as, as the budget has grown, let's also remember that, that Georgia's population has grown. So the, actually, when you look at um, funding per capita, we, we, particularly since the Republicans took over, we've held the line on spending pretty well. The, 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 there are two problems with education. First is the growth of the bureaucracy uh, is, has been incredible. When you look at population growth and, and student growth, um, and, and then you look at the funding that's that's gone not into the classroom and not to teachers, but to the administration, 
that's where you see so much spending, and that's part of what we ought to be dealing with now is is shifting money from the from the uh, administrative level to the classroom level. You know, the Atlanta Constitution not too long ago did a study and had a thousand administrators in Metro Atlanta making six figures, and every one of those, of course, has a car and an office and a secretary, and um, that's a hundred million dollars. So, the, the, the dealing with the bureaucracy in education uh, is critical. The other is just the lack of the old-fashioned free market um, competition. Our university system in this country was built by the GI Bill, the soldiers coming home from from, uh, from World War II, and our colleges and universities in Georgia have become some of the best in the country because of the Hope Scholarship. The money follows the child to the school of their choice, and, and we can do the same thing with our public education, and that competition will force efficiencies in the system, will improve customer service, and will, and will improve uh, outcomes. So you're you're advocating school choice, uh, school yes, vouchers. Ab- absolutely, as much I, I term it personalizing education. We need to put every child in the best educational environment possible. That that may be a good public school or a good community school, as I prefer to call them. Um, it may be a private school. It could be a charter school, a magnet school, a virtual school, a home school. Um, and there, the, the more options we have out there. And the more choices we give parents, the, the better off we'll be. But we have got to uh, allow the money to follow the child to the, to the school of their choice, public or private, secular or religious, because that is the only true way to get accountability. And I get so frustrated with, with uh, so-called conservative Republicans who, who oppose choice, who, who scream and yell about Obamacare uh, and then defend uh, government-run education, uh, which is far more pervasive and far more expensive. Are there any other candidates in the race taking the position on school vouchers that you that you're taking? None, none really. I mean, uh, of course, the, the commissioner of insurance will will tell folks you know anything they want to hear, and so he says he's for vouchers. But then he starts talking about if we value our children, we'll put our money where our mouth is, or something that you can't figure out. Both Karen and Nathan. You know, it depends on the audience, but uh, uh, but uh, Nathan will say, well, I'm okay with vouchers. I voted for it in Washington, but we need to make sure that the private schools uh, have to follow the same rules as the public schools. Well, that's that's a crap answer. That basically means no vouchers because none of us on the free market side want to turn private schools into public schools. We'd, we'd rather turn public schools into private schools. Uh, and then Karen um, just talks about maybe doing a pilot program that, she, again, she doesn't want to want to um, harm public education or, 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 or turn off um, um, uh, loose voters on anything controversial. So I'm the only one that has made this a, a career-long fight. In fact, I was looking back, researching our own record, and in 1993, my first um, year in the House, I did a voucher amendment, $1,000 voucher amendment to one of Zell Miller's uh, education bills. So I, I have always believed fundamentally that the free market system is the best way to improve schools. And I'm saying this, it's good for public schools. I'm a public school graduate, and both of my children attended public schools. This is good for public schools, not bad. You've taken a very strong stance on illegal immigration. Please tell us how you plan to deal with this issue when you're elected governor. You know, if, if Washington won't secure our borders, um, and I think it's more of a won't than a can't, uh, I think clearly we could do it if we wanted to, but but under Republicans and Democrats, uh, they they have refused to do so, and, and that has caused a, uh, a, a lot. 
lot of harm to states, including Georgia, who has more illegal immigrants than Arizona and is the fastest growing illegal immigration population in the country. Illegals come here for two reasons. They come for jobs, they come for taxpayer-funded services. So the first thing I want to do is go after the jobs part of it. And Republicans have traditionally shied away from from going after businesses. And while I don't want to make businesses into law enforcement agencies, I do think there's a way to go after them, and that would be to require um, every local business license holder to use E-Verify, which is a free government program. Every employer now has to use I-9, which simply add E-Verify in there, and if they're caught hiring illegals a second time, you'd revoke that business license permanently. So that would, that would be a strong disincentive to, for anybody to try and hire illegals. The second is to go after the taxpayer-funded services. Now, Georgia has a lot of laws out there, and we need to enforce the ones we have, but the two single biggest costs um, to taxpayers are education and health care. And federal law requires us to treat anybody who walks into an emergency room and, and the Supreme Court required in a 5-4 decision in 1982 that states educate children of illegals in, in public schools. And, uh, uh, and I want to, to determine citizenship, require every school and hospital to determine citizenship of the people that use those services and so that we can gather the data and build a case, and then I intend to sue the federal government uh, for compensation for the taxpayers of Georgia. Um, because at a time where furloughing teachers and, and, and increasing class sizes and shortening school years, uh, you know, it's no time for us with, to, to be educating these children. You know, we, we're not required to educate children from Alabama or South Carolina, but we're required to educate children from, from another country. It doesn't make any sense. And, and lastly, I want to give law enforcement better tools. There's, there's secure communities and there's 287G programs that basically make law enforcement uh, agents uh, of immigration uh, to that they're authorized and trained and authorized to determine citizenship and then to to turn over um, illegal immigrants to ICE for deportation. Right now, there are only four uh, sheriff's office in the state that are that are members. Well, I'm going to increase the per diem that the state provides to local law enforcement as an incentive to join this program, so that they have a stronger tool to catch illegals and then turn them over to ICE for deportation. It's the most aggressive illegal immigration program in the country. Even Fox News says I've taken Arizona's laws to, to, to the next level. Now, some people would say that if you try to go after businesses like this, uh, especially as recover, recovering from a recession, um, the, the price of things like housing is going to increase because you're basically taking the cheap labor away. Uh, you also have the argument that illegals and it, it, legals and it, legals and illegals uh, contribute much more to the economy. There was a study in from the University of North Carolina back in 2006 that said that they contributed nine billion dollars to that state's economy overall, but only took about 61 million out in services, about a hundred dollars per illegal. So, how do you fight that argument back? Well, well, well two answers. The first one is. We don't know what they're costing in the two largest taxpayer-funded systems out there, education and health care. So we cannot change what we cannot measure. So I'm going to require the schools and hospitals to begin that measurement so that we'll have the data. You know, it's one thing to say we're, we're getting cheap labor. It's the other thing to say, uh, on one hand, we're getting cheap labor. On the other hand, we're costing our taxpayers uh, and overburdening our welfare systems. 
you know, it's it's it's. Let's see what they're doing. Let's and let me be clear. I'm for legal immigration. I mean, unless you're an American Indian, everybody in this country is an immigrant. Immigrants built America, and and we still need legal Im, uh, immigration as scientists and doctors and nurses and and laborers and migrant workers. I mean, we still need um, legal. Uh, immigrants in this country, but but we need to know who they are, where they come from, are they criminals? Do they have communicable diseases? You know, that, that's a reasonable expectation. Otherwise, why don't we just take the position that anybody who wants to come to America um, can come here and, and we'll pay for them? I mean, thank God we've got the Pacific Ocean between us and China. I mean, you you can't take that position. You can already look at Europe and see a lot of the problems Europe is facing now with with an uncontrolled uh, migration of, of people over there. Well, changing gears a little bit, um, transportation will be a major issue for the next governor of Georgia. Where do you feel the focus should be for the Georgia Department of Transportation and the state legislature? Well, again, as I said earlier in the interview, that that infrastructure is is a proper function of government, and it's a necessity for the private sector. So businesses need roads and, and rail and uh, to, to prosper, and we all need roads and rail to get from point A to point B. So that's a proper function of government. Um, so we've got to figure out how to pay for it, and uh, and so we're we're we'll be offering, or the, or the legislature this year is going to be offering in two years a regional transportation um, funding mechanism where voters will see a list of projects, decide whether it benefits them, and, and vote whether to increase the sales tax or not, just like we do for courthouses and jails and schools at the local level. In the meantime, uh, I believe that we can use uh, a significant portion of the state's existing bond package, which is a AAA-rated bond package. It's shifted from, from some of the bricks-and-mortar projects that we've been doing for for school buildings and, and universities and technical colleges and put more of it into um, into transportation. Obviously, technology, uh, both in traffic management uh, and in telecommuting, and, and in the long run, I mean, let's 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 be realistic. In in in, the, in 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to be at virtual schools. We're, we're going to be telecommuting to work. I mean, I mean the, the system we're using right now, Skype, Technology is going to solve a lot of our transportation issues uh, in the long run, but that still costs money. You mentioned the transportation sales tax that we're going to be voting on in, in two years. Uh, if you're assuming you're elected governor, uh, would you campaign for that tax? Well, obviously, we want to see the local governments and the, and the projects they put forward, but assuming that local elected officials and, and planning uh, agents agencies have come together with with a, a network of both road and potentially uh, transit uh, that benefits that region. I see no reason why I wouldn't be out there encouraging people. I, I think that part of what the governor needs to do is make sure that the, that the overall state planning of transportation is is appropriate, and then help con- convince voters that that the the funding is just not there. That that, that you cannot fund transportation. You cannot maintain roads just with the gas tax that used to do it. And it's not just Georgia. I mean, the Federal Highway Trust Fund's out of money. The, every other state is out of money. There just has to be a different way to fund transportation. And, you know, letting the voters decide if they turn it down, then, you know, then Plan B is going to be more technology and, and, uh, and alternatives. With Congress passing down all sorts of mandates, be it Obamacare or No Child Left Behind or, or whatever, 
do you believe that states have the ability through the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution to reject these federal mandates? Absolutely, but but not everything is a Tenth Amendment violation. I mean, you, you know, you're going to have to consult with lawyers, and you're going to have to have to, and you're hopefully will get other states to join with you. I mean, just just because, for example, they require seat belts in, in Georgia, well, they really don't require seat belts. They just say if you don't have seat belts, we're not going to send you any money sure. for highways. So, I mean, it, it's 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 so it's not everything is a Tenth Amendment violation, but I do think it is time for Georgia and other states to stand up and say enough is enough. I mean, this has been going, this, I mean, the, the, the Obama administration and, and, the, and the liberals that are controlling Congress now have taken it to a whole another level, but this was a Republican problem too. Um, so it's, it's just, it, it, governments like Kudzu, it, it, it had a valid purpose when it was originally brought into this state as, as erosion control, but now it's just grown so much and suffocated everything and nobody can remember what the purpose of it was. And it's time to stand up. I have a record of standing up to big government. I took former Governor Roy Barnes all the way to the United States Supreme Court over violating our constitutional rights uh, on redistricting 10 years ago. I've stood up to my own party and trying and, and uh, unsuccessfully in trying to block the repeal of the homeowner tax relief grants. I stood up to my own party and, and legislators for for uh, not paying their own taxes. So, you know, I'm ready to go to battle with with Washington whether it's on the 10th Amendment or whether it's on the Voting Rights Act. I believe the Voting Rights Act is unconstitutional and ought to be challenged also. And we've already discussed my, my willingness to challenge them on the cost of illegal immigrants to our state taxpayers. On the Voting Rights Act, you're talking about Section 5, the preclearance? Preclearance, yep. It, the fact that they can tell Georgia, as they have, that we cannot use citizenship verification on uh, voter registration and they could tell us no, but they can't tell Minnesota no, that's a violation of equal protection under the U.S. Constitution in my mind. You're from South Georgia, and as of today, you're in fourth place in polling in the primary. What is the path to victory for Eric Johnson? Well, you know, we, we, there are seven Republicans in the race, four of them that, that really matter in polling and in, in, in money raised. To go into a runoff, and the Republican nominee is the likely next governor of, of Georgia. We're a red state in a Barack Obama midterm election, so theoretically, I just have to get from from fourth place to second place uh, before July 20th. Now, we're convinced that as voters just begin to pay attention, that they'll see a candidate who's been running a business their whole life, and, and uh, unlike the other top three uh, candidates who have been living off the taxpayers for a combined total of 37 years that, you know, using taxpayer-funded health care, driving taxpayer-funded cars, working in a taxpayer-funded office with taxpayer-funded electricity and drawing a taxpayer-funded paycheck. So they're going to see that business background where I've worked among the people of Georgia. And second, while I was working as a part-time legislature, I developed a, a honest-to-goodness, small government strong family, free market, conservative record um, that the others can't match. So we believe that as people focus on this record, they're going to see a, a, somebody with business experience, somebody that's a true conservative, and somebody that has a plan to put Georgia back to work. Well, Eric, thanks for joining me tonight. Let me get your final thoughts. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of hard work, but it's, but it's worth it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't be in this if I didn't think, um, uh, public service uh, and, and self-government isn't important. I, I started my political career 30 years ago in the Reagan Revolution because I thought that 
that the only way for power to remain with the people was to give them a choice, to give them a debate. And so I worked very hard to build a two-party system at, at that point in time and have been fighting to maintain, whether it was taking bars to the Supreme Court over redistricting or taking on my own party, I've been fighting to do everything I can to make sure, like our founding fathers, that, that the power remains with the people and not the politicians. Um, and, I, and that's why I think this is important. Uh, and, and while there are you know, 15 or 16 candidates for governor out there, Glory, hallelujah! That and tea parties, I love them. Um, so it's you know it's, this is a great opportunity for people to get involved uh, in government and, and make a difference. And where can we find you on the web? It's johnsonforgeorgians.com. And you have the links to Facebook and Twitter on there. We got yeah, we're, we're tweeting and we're Facebooking and uh, and everything else. We're up on uh, TV in Atlanta. Uh, for the rest of the campaign and uh, and then just traveling this big old state um, as fast and as far as we can go. Well, Eric, again, thank you very much for taking some time out of your busy day. I, I know you've uh, you've had a long one, and uh, we uh, wish you the best of luck. Thank you, Jason, uh, very much for taking your responsibilities in, in self-government uh, and, and, and using uh, using new technology and using the, the, the web to educate voters. Thank you so much. Thank you.